the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It is used at virtually every public official swearing-in ceremony. It's on the nightstand, or it's inside of it. Of most hotels and motels in America, every serviceman has been provided a pocket edition who wants one. It's present at our weddings, our funerals. A good percentage of Americans own a heirloom edition. But for as wide as its availability might be, it is increasingly the least used and less understood and valued book, perhaps, in 21st century America. Sadly, yes, I am talking about Scripture. What can we do to reverse this trend, and how can we better understand the value of the insights that Scripture offers to everyday living? A new book out called The Key Ideas Bible Handbook, Understanding and Applying All the Main Concepts Book by Book, written by a gentleman who is no stranger to the KFAX audience. You knew him for many years as uh, uh, frequent appearances on the Bible Answer Man program. In fact, he served as associate editor for the Christian Research Journal and the Christian Research Newsletter. He has authored more than 70 best-selling books, serves as president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries, and he is with us tonight. Ron Rhodes, great to have you on the show. Well, thank you so much. It's always good to be with you. You know, Ron, always a, an irony when we talk about uh, Scripture, because as much as it seems to be, as I suggested in my opening remarks, revered within America, uh, sadly, not only is there a growing proportion of Americans who no longer use Scripture for day-to-day living, there's a good percentage of Christians who kind of look at this book as, well, maybe a combination of some good stories, a lot of historical stuff, uh, but really perhaps have a lessening value or importance placed on its educational and applicable value to daily, daily living. Uh, Well, I think you're right about that. I think that today the thing that people are tending to do is to base their spirituality more on experience than on Scripture. Uh, It used to be that Christianity was considered a facts-based religion. In other words, it's based on the facts of the Bible. But it seems like the Bible has been issued out the back door, and experience and even mysticism has been brought in the front door. And so you're right. There are many Christians who just don't spend much time in Scripture. And In fact, one of the polls that I came across uh, indicated not only that very few Christians are reading the Bible, but the few Christians that are basically do it during the sermon on Sunday morning. And, you know, some of those sermons are getting shorter and shorter these days. Could be 15 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes. And I have to tell you, that's not enough 
time in the Word of God to understand what it really teaches. Well, moreover, Ron, I think a lot of those sermons are not only getting shorter, but they're also getting shorter on content coming from Scripture and lacking in a tremendous degree of context as well. And I guess to that degree, and maybe to the point of your book, The Key Ideas Bible Handbook, is this notion that um, there needs to be an understanding, an approach, so to speak, when it comes to reading Scripture and applying Scripture, and not everybody quite understands that. Well, I think you're right. You know, it's not just a matter of coming to an intellectual understanding of what the Bible teaches, but it's also supposed to touch the heart. It's supposed to be transformational. It's supposed to be life-changing. I must tell you, I grew up in a liberal church, and in that liberal church there was not a whole lot of respect for the Bible as the Word of God. In fact, it was considered more to be the the Word of man. And so we really didn't consider it to be something that was life-changing. But you see, then I had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and that changed everything. And one of the things I discovered is that the more I spent in God's Word, the deeper I went into God's Word, the more my love for Christ grew. There's a direct parallel there. And it seems like today that even though the Bible is everywhere present, all over the world, it's also invisible. Everybody has a copy, but no one reads it. And one of the things I wanted to do with my new book was to show people how transformational this book really is, how applicational and life-changing it really is. And so I'm basically going against the grain of society, and what I'm talking about is the fact that many say that the Bible is no longer relevant for living today. I challenge that. I think it is absolutely relevant to living today. And I take you from Genesis to the book of Revelation, and I show you all of the the, the really cool, life-changing concepts that are there. And so I'm excited about the book. And I have to be I have to be thoroughly candid with you, Ron. When I when I first got my hands on the book, I, I saw the title and I started counting. And I thought, well, son of a gun, uh, all 39 of the Old Testament are there. Oh, all 66 are there. <laughs> He's not getting. And, and I and I, while I offer that partially tongue in cheek, there's also I think this this notion that some believe that well, only portions of Scripture really apply to us today. Uh, some certainly suggest that and might go as far as to say, well, why do we need the entirety of Scripture? Why not a a Bible for today's living abridged edition? Well, that's a good question, and what I try to do in the book is to show people that it's not just the New Testament books, it's not just Old Testament books like Psalms and Proverbs, but rather it's every book in the Bible. This is what we call the whole counsel of God, and God himself told us that we need to understand the whole counsel of God. You know, I think it's helpful to do self-examinations of our spiritual lives, and when you do that, uh, sometimes the results of that self-examination may not be too encouraging. There's a lot of people I've spoken with who feel like maybe they're just not doing well spiritually. Some have said that they've got sort of a spiritual wasteland inside their heart. You know, to me, the Bible is the answer for that, because one of the things we learn from the Scripture is that it has a reviving effect on the soul. So if you're a person who's in need of personal revival, this is the place to begin. And you can go from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and you can find applicational concepts in every book. And yes, I'm including books like Leviticus and Numbers and some of those books that nobody hardly ever reads. And so, again, the entire Bible is relevant, 
But for some reason, people have just bought the lie, and I think that lie came from the devil, by the way, They've bought the lie that the Bible has no relevance for today. Well, and perhaps part of this, too, is the fact that we're, we're sort of revealing this notion that we don't really know the true character of God, because if we did, we would understand that there's, there's not much that happens that is accidental, that God, in fact, is very intentional. And when you think about all of the challenges down through the millennia that canon Scripture faced in getting to us today in the complete form that it's in, then I've got to believe that God was being very intentional in not only creating the account, but making the account available to us all these years later from Genesis and the very opening passage to the final period in Revelation, and that the fact that the whole council, the totality of Scripture, is there at our disposal, and it's got to be for a reason. Well, you know, I'm so glad that you just said that. I mean, we're just really resonating. Uh, in fact, I've spoken entire sermons on this topic. The reality is it goes back even further. It's not just that God gave us revelation in the Bible, but God even created human language. When God made man, he gave man and woman human language, not only so that we could communicate with each other, but so that we could communicate with God and God could communicate with us. And aren't you glad that God is not the kind of God who creates us and then leaves us on our own, letting us wander around in the darkness trying to find out some truth? God is not that kind of God. God is the one who is the aggressor in making himself known. He not only created us, but he tells us everything that we need to know to make our lives run optimally. And when I say optimally, I'm not just talking about physical. I'm talking about our spiritual lives. I think that one of the things that we're missing today is that we're not just physical and emotional beings. We're physical, emotional, and spiritual, and each one affects the other. And so a lot of people are t- today are walking around without that spiritual component based on Scripture. And those who do have a spiritual component sometimes have a false spirituality, whether it's a false religion or a cult or some strange version or aberration, even, of Christianity. Well, now, wait a minute, Ron. Now, you're, you're not suggesting, then, that if somebody, for example, takes Anthony Robbins' word or Deepak Chopra's <laughs> word over God's, that there's something wrong with that. <laughs> well, you know, um, I've actually sat under the teachings of some of those guys. I, I've, you know, I'm one of the researchers who actually goes to spend time with the people that I write about. So if I'm going to write about Deepak Chopra, for example, I'll go listen to his lectures in person. If I'm going to go write about psychics, and I've done that uh, in, in my work of apologetics, I actually go to the New Age conventions and I watch them do their stuff. So that way I really know what I'm talking about here. But here's the thing. One of the things that we learned from the Bereans in Acts 17 is that we ought to test everything against Scripture. No matter who says what, even no matter what Ron Rhodes says, you test it against Scripture. And as the Apostle Paul put it in 1 Thessalonians 5, we ought to test all things, and we hold on to the good, but we reject the bad. So I'll listen to what anybody says. I'll even listen to what Deepak Chopra says. But I'm going to test his words against Scripture. And anything that violates Scripture... Uh, I'm going to turn away from, and that's not going to be a part of my spirituality. I think the passage is uh, try or test the spirits and see if they be of God. With us today, 
one of America's most outstanding Christian apologists, certainly of our times. Ron Rhodes is with us. We're talking about his new book, The Key Ideas Bible Handbook, Understanding and Applying All the Main Concepts Book by Book, newly published by Harvest House. And of course, you'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it online through Ron's website at ronroads.org. That's ronroads.org. A brief time out back to more of our conversation with best-selling author and Christian apologist Ron Rhodes right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the program. Back to more of our conversation with Christian apologist and best-selling author Ron Rhodes. We made mention earlier on the fact that for a lot of people, sadly, the Bible has been used to record marriages and deaths, press flowers, maybe even hide a 20 spot for emergencies. But as Ron is suggesting, it's not by accident that God has made Scripture not only available to us, but as complete as it is, so that there's more than just historical value to it. There's also educational and applicational value to it. And toward that end, Ron, let's dive a little bit deeper, because as tongue-in-cheek I mentioned earlier, sure enough, you didn't leave any of the books out. You've managed to extract and extrapolate from every single book of the Bible, valuable lessons that are being taught that, in fact, do have a modern-day application to every single believer. I'm curious, even for your field of of knowledge and expertise of Christian apologetics and the Scripture, were there some things in this process of doing the research and preparing for the new book that even came as a bit of an aha moment for you? Well, I have to say yes. In fact, uh, when I was going through the book of Revelation— that's not normally a book that you think of as having a lot of uh, applicational and transformational truths in. But I discovered that there's a whole lot of application there. Uh, for example, when you look at chapters 2 and 3, which are the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, there is just so much application there. For example, among the principles that I talk about are, just as God is gloriously enthroned in heaven, so he must be enthroned upon our hearts. Boy, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another one is this. Take steps to avoid spiritual lethargy and spiritual blindness. You know, that's dealing with the church at Laodicea. And, you know, the whole point that I'm trying to make is, is, is that as you go through each book, whether it's the book of Revelation or some other book, there are some nuggets that you're going to find there that will absolutely change your life. And I must tell you that this all grew out of my own personal quiet times with the Lord. You know, when I spent time in Scripture, what I would often do is just write little principles down in the margin of my Bible. And that was such a blessing to me. And so I I just started to thinking, you know what, this is such a blessing to me. I wonder if this might also bless some other Christians out there. And and I, I started to wonder whether this is something that might excite other Christians about the Word of God. And so that was my motivation in writing this book. Is there also some effort in this process, Ron? And I I ask this question in all seriousness, particularly coming from uh, a region like the San Francisco Bay Area, where we have the lowest per capita church attendance in the nation. And oftentimes when we talk about either the, the grander topic or larger topic of Christianity or more specific to Scripture, um, both are often either seen as irrelevant or extreme. Well, that's true, and I think that's a growing trend. The, the, the latest polls indicate that that's a growing viewpoint uh, among uh, people in America and around the world. But what I think we have to do is to sort of get, a, get rid of this smokescreen that's out there with people kind of blindly walking around 
and to give people something that they can use that works in real life. And that's what I'm trying to help people to understand, that the Bible is life-changing in our century. Here we are in 2017, and in 2017, this book can actually change your life for the better. This book can set you on fire spiritually. And uh, if there's one thing that I want people to get away from, it's the idea that Christianity is just head knowledge, you know, believing in certain ideas that might be interesting but aren't life-changing. You see, the Bible doesn't just touch the head, it also touches the heart. And uh, from Genesis to Revelation, there are truths that can just really light up your life in a big way. And the more that people understand that, I think the more that uh, people will stop claiming that the Bible is irrelevant for today. Here's another question for you that I'm curious about. And and, uh, folks in the audience that are either engineers or mechanics or work in the technical field will understand this, that, that typically for devices, it might be, well, in the radio industry, a, a broadcast transmitter, or in the automotive industry, uh, your car, your truck, there are typically two manuals available. There is the technical manual that is written and intended for the guy that's going to get up underneath the hood and do repair work to your vehicle or the broadcast engineer that's going to keep the transmitter on the air. And then there's the operations manual. This is intended for the guy or gal that's going to sit behind the wheel every day and drive this vehicle down the road and needs to know how to apply things like how often do we change the oil, check the tire pressure, uh, where's the switch for the headlights, the emergency flashers, things of this sort. In, In some respects, and forgive me if that's not the most accurate analogy, Ron, but in some respects, do you see the key ideas Bible handbook is sort of your, your effort at providing sort of the owner, owner's manual to Scripture so that believers can get that aha moment and see and understand and apply for themselves the nuggets of truth and the value that is hidden inside of, and sometimes not all that hidden, it's, it's more obvious if folks would just take the time to read it, but they're inside of all 66 books of the Bible so that we can extrapolate and then apply to our lives for daily application every aspect of these truths. Well, you know, I think that's a helpful analogy, and I think there's a certain amount of truth to that. Uh, I think it's not only kind of like a uh, operation manual that shows you how to operate your life, but it's also got some little nuggets in there for those who want to go deeper. I have all kinds of little outline boxes and quotes from people throughout church history that take people deeper. And, you know, uh, talking about an operator's manual, you know, I've purchased an awful lot of products in the past, and I'm kind of intuitive. Sometimes I put things together without looking at the instructions. And more than once, I have busted the thing just right there before I finish putting it together. <laughs> Or, or, like on, or, or like on Christmas morning where you got the bicycle put together, but you're not quite sure what the 10 extra screws and nuts are for. Oh, uh, yeah, what are these screws for? <laughs> they must uh, be spares. Know, That's always my time. excuse. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the point that I'm making there is that in the same way, uh, if you don't operate your life according to the owner's manual, which is the Bible, well, you know what? You can bust your life up pretty quick. God is the one who created us. He knows exactly what makes our lives operate at, at optimum levels. And he's revealed that in the Word of God. And if we choose to ignore the the Word of God, then we're the ones that pay for it. So it's really in your own best interest to take this seriously. Well, and you know, contrary to the misconception that I think some have that either come from a a disenfranchised sort of jaded approach or others who have never been properly and fully instructed— 
The Bible is not intended to make our lives confusing, complicated, and more difficult. Um, it's it's not intended to be a, a headbuster, uh, but rather intended to make life easier and smoother, and to allow us to, in every aspect of the of the phrase, get to know our Maker and our Savior in a deeper, richer, more personable way. And I think, to a great degree, the Key Ideas Bible Handbook goes a long way toward helping the reader understand more of that, and not just understand more of Scripture, but then be able to say, okay, not only do I understand this, but now I know where and how it applies specifically to my life. And in that regard, I guess this is not only a great book for young believers, but anybody who's really looking to go a little bit deeper. Well, exactly. Uh, it's not just for young believers, but for believers who have maybe been studying the Bible for such a long time that they've become top-heavy. And by top-heavy, I mean that their brains are full of knowledge, but maybe they're not doing so good spiritually. Well, this is the kind of book that can change that. And by the way, uh, I have to watch out for that, too, and I'm sure that you do as well. There's a lot of us that do so much studying of Scripture, and we get our minds so filled with the facts of the Bible that sometimes people have a tendency not to pay as much attention to their devotional lives. And this book is devotional and inspirational from beginning to end. Yes, there's a lot of theology in it, but that theology is inspirational and life-changing. Well, the other thing, too, Ron, I think, is that sometimes, uh, and, and with no malice of forethought, I think sometimes we have been, and speaking for myself here, dismissive of certain aspects of Scripture, not to say that we don't uh, value it or recognize it as the inspired Word of God, but rather look at certain passages and say, well, you know, all this genealogy stuff, I mean, you know, maybe that helps if you're going to write a book or something, but do I really need to know that? Does it really apply to me? A Levitical law, I mean, my goodness, how deep can we quickly get lost in the book of Leviticus? And yet, as we said earlier, this is not just a historical document. This is educational and applicational. And so to the degree to which it can help to sort of rekindle that flame of passion for reading and applying God's Word, I think it's a, it's a great tool across the board, both for new believers as well as for the old folks like me. <laughs> well, I certainly appreciate you saying that, and my prayer is that this would be a life-changing tool for everyone who's listening today. And uh, whether you're going through a genealogy or the book of Revelation or an epistle like the book of Galatians, all of it will touch your heart if you just take the chance and try it. And so the challenge is, are, are you going to be brave enough to try it? Are you going to get out there and, and take a look at the book and go through the scriptures and let it change your life? You'll be better if you do. Well, and certainly the book makes the process a lot easier. So, uh, you know, with all the books that we review on this program, the number of guests that we come on, uh, a lot of them, and Jarrell can can attest to this, wind up over here in the bookcase or given away. This one's going home with me. It's the Key Ideas Bible Handbook, Understanding and Applying All the Main Concepts book by book. It is newly published by Harvest House, and its author has been our guest on this segment of Lifeline, Ron Rhodes. And Ron, is always great to have you on the show. Always an education. Keep up the good work, my friend, and we'll look forward to get you on again real soon. Ron Rhodes, by the way, you can order the book directly online through his website, ronrhodes.org. That's ronrhodes with an H dot O-R-G. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Well, according to the old calendar on the wall, graduation time is just about here. And while it's certainly an important moment of a sense of great pride by many parents to see their child walk across the stage in the cap and gown, diploma in hand, having accomplished a solid 12-year career in high school, this means a lot of things. Not only a sense of um, accomplishment, but then, too, it raises questions about what's next. For many students, that means continuance of their scholastic career by moving into college and university. Students may, in many cases, stay close to home, in fact, live at home and maybe attend a couple of year junior college. Others might be making plans to head off somewhere else to college. Well, whatever the plans might be, at the end of the day, we have to admit, this moment in time for students who have graduated from high school and are now beginning their scholastic career at college or university are no longer children, but they're also not quite yet adults. That raises a lot of questions and concerns for parents who understand that there's going to be a loss of control at a lot of levels. And one of the biggest arenas where we seem as parents to worry the most is, do we do the right job to train up our child in the fear and respect and ammunition of the Lord so that they will be able to live out their own faith? Essentially, are they ready for the life that will meet them ahead And how do we know? We'll answer some of those questions as Neilan Brown joins us. He, by the way, Executive Director of Focus Leadership Institute at Focus on the Family. And Neilan, great to have you on the program. Thank you so very much. Wonderful to be with you today. Boy, this is a a question that a lot of adults struggle with about their uh, children graduating from high school, as much even the students themselves are wondering, gee, am I ready? What's going to be facing me out there in the big wide world ahead? That's it. Yes, indeed. It's, it's a big question, and I think for a lot of parents, it's a looming question, you know, <laughs> that, that they're looking at for some time as they're, you know, watching the years go by, blowing out the birthday candles and all that good stuff. But I think for a lot of students, sometimes for them it comes as a bit of a shock, you know, that, that it's that first night that you're in the dorm by yourself. No one's forcing you to go to class. Uh, so, but I know certainly for parents it is a big concern for sometimes sending them off um, into continuing education away from home. You know, we see this as sending our children off to get the answer the answers that they're going to need about life and who they are as a person and preparing them for uh, either marriage and or a career, maybe both. Uh, But oftentimes we find that many of these students, now free from the day-to-day routine that happened under mom and dad's roof, yeah, they go to school to get the answers, but they tend to oftentimes come back with an awful lot of questions about their faith. Indeed, indeed. Uh, we, we find that with many of the students that we serve here at the Focus Leadership Institute, they are wrestling with very big questions. And I do, I do think we, we send our students off to college campuses to get the answers, but on a lot of campuses throughout the U.S., God is no longer a part of that answer and or that equation. So students do find themselves sitting in classrooms and, you know, and kind of circulating amongst populations much broader and much different um, than what they knew at home. And when you're in those classrooms, it does raise some pretty big questions. It certainly can. For parents, I guess the big concern is that it seems to be a time when many of the familiar safety mets are missing, meaning, uh, Neeland, the child is perhaps in a different part of the state or in another state altogether, so they have different set of friends, they're not attending the same church anymore, sure. much of the usual network that we just sort of rely upon to be there for our kids. All of that has changed dramatically, and now all of a sudden they're, they're in this place where we know that there are competing worldviews at a lot of levels, 
And and I guess therein lies the big concern for many parents. Will my son or daughter be able to survive absent the safety net that's been there for the first 18 years of their life? Indeed, indeed. That, that's, that is the big question. And one of the things that we find, I've spent a lot of time around college students, and I've seen those who continue to be committed to their faith, as well as those who slip away. We can provide those safety nets while we're within the home. However, a relationship with Jesus Christ is quite personal. I think one of the mistakes that can be made is to expect the safety net to get, to get the individual child into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, I heard one brother of mine uh, put it well who works with a ministry called Access that works with high schoolers. And one of the things he says is, I had to move from renting my parents' faith in Christ to owning my, my own mm-hmm. faith in Christ. And I think a lot of times we put so much trust into the safety nets that we neglect to prepare our students for ownership. Does that kind of make sense? It does, and and I think it leads to the old adage that um, God has no stepsons or stepdaughters. We are all immediate direct heirs, (laughs) and so the relationship needs to be fostered as such that it is a personal, intimate, direct relationship and not one that's lived out vicariously through mom and dad. There, There you have it. That's exactly the point. And here's the good news. For parents who may hear this and think, boy, I don't know if I did the best job helping my students to own their faith. I know I sent them to church a lot. I I know I had them in this group and in that group, but I really didn't spend a lot of time talking about these things. The good news is it's never too late. Statistics still bear out that even in the midst of students leaving home, um, having all of these various professors and hearing these worldviews, and in addition to technology, which is bombarding our students with ideas and worldviews before they even leave home, and I think at this juncture, one of the fallacies we live amongst is our students aren't hearing other voices while they're at home. They're hearing those voices by elementary and middle school with these iPhones and iPads and, you know, all these smartphones and things. But research still bears out parents have strong influence, even during the college years. So if you haven't been having that renting or leasing conversation, they're graduating now, it's not too late to start. You're still mom. You're still dad. Your voice carries a lot of weight. What about the concern, and I think it's a legitimate one, many parents would like to think that as they send their children off to uh, college that maybe the son or daughter is going to be uh, there on college campus um, expressing a vibrant faith and sharing with others around them, acknowledging the fact that uh, unless they're fortunate enough to attend a a Christian-based college or university, that they're probably going to have plenty of witnessing opportunities. So there's one part of the equation. Then that kind of runs from being concerned about them having the ability to properly express their faith to what it's going to be like when they have to come in and defend their faith when challenged by other world views and differing religion views, and then, let alone that, even the ability of a child simply maintaining their own faith. Indeed, indeed. Well, Paul the Apostle writes a couple of letters to a very young pastor named Timothy. And in his second letter to him, you have Paul, who's later in ministry, Timothy, who's much younger in the faith. He knows that Timothy's going to be contending with a lot of pluralistic worldviews and all these various gods and all these things. And Paul's advising him, one of my favorite verses is Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, when he tells him, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed and rightly handles the word of truth. The, the preparation to defend, one, to defend one's faith is directly linked to one's understanding of their faith. I think a lot of students get 
concerned or scared to even speak about Christ, because to be honest, they're not, they're not totally sure what they believe about Christ. And Paul basically tells Timothy, hey, have a zeal for Scripture. Have a zeal for learning about God. I think we, we push our students towards learning in a lot of areas, but a lot of the questions I have is, are we really putting resources? I mean, I mean good resources like a True You, which was done by Focus on the Family and actually filmed here in the Focus Leadership Institute, or the Truth Project, or even looking at international ministries like uh, Robbie Zacharias International Ministries, that, that wonderful apostle. Ravi Zacharias, who wrote a great book that I think every college student should read <laughs> called Jesus Amongst Other Gods, because many of our students who've grown up in a Christian home have never spent exhaustive time around um, Hinduism or Buddhism, you know, or Mormonism or any of these other um, uh, paths of faith as they're expressed in the college community, or even books that are more popular, like Lee, Sto- Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for Creation. I think one of the things that we may, one of the ways we can help our students be more comfortable with defending their faith and expressing their faith is when we give them resources and don't just have them memorize scriptures blindly. <laughs> but we actually, not only do we give them resources, but we read the same resources and we have discussions about the evidence of the resurrection, the truth claims of Jesus Christ, and the legitimacy of the biblical canon. It's it's simple to answer questions once you have them, and I've seen students who can strongly defend their faith position in a loving manner through grace and truth, as Christ uh, gave us as an example. But I think we really have to go deep in helping our students understand it's important to study and know your faith. Absolutely. And then the other thing, too, is the balancing the time. And I want to talk about that when we come back after a brief time out. If you've just joined us, Neilan Brown is with us, Executive Director of the Focus Leadership Institute, located at Focus on the Family. We're talking about the challenges, the worries and concerns that you as a parent have as your son or daughter heads off to uh, high school, oh, pardon me, as your son or daughter heads off to college or university, having completed their studies at the high school level uh, this May or June, and, and what are the concerns and what are the important points that we need to keep mindful of as parents and remind our children of? We'll talk about that next as our conversation continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to Lifeline. We're visiting today with Neilan Brown, Executive Director of Focus on the Family's Focus Leadership Institute. We're talking about uh, that exciting time in your son or daughter's life when they graduate from high school, but then that very fearful time when, in many cases, they're stepping out into the world without the safety nets for the very first time as they head off to college or university. And what does it mean for them to be able to express, defend, and maintain their faith. And, you know, Leland, I'm reminded you mentioned just before the break about the importance to continue to speak truth and, and continue to recognize the influence that parents have on their children's lives. You know, we, we start out with the speech that we give our son or daughter when they attend their first day at school or when they go off on their first date or when they attend their prom. I guess there's another important speech that needs to be given as they head off to um, college or university. And I guess part of it comes down to reminding them about a balance in in life, because let's face it, they're going to be in a new environment where they've got newfound freedoms, new responsibilities, new friends, and I guess they have to be reminded to make sure that amongst all the things that are so new, to make sure that they carve out time for their old, quote-unquote, faith. Indeed, indeed. 
God repeatedly calls us to be good stewards throughout Scripture. I think one of, one of the issues that many students run into in the college environment is, as we look at education today as a nation, we see it simply as preparing individuals to fit somehow into the economic system. And therefore, we lose the grander narrative of us being good stewards of the talents and gifts God has given us, developing those in college, and then having an impact. So I think it's so important not simply to make state, stu- statements excuse me, to students like, make sure you're in class, go to the library, you know, <laughs> you better be writing those papers. But rather, we want to give them, what's the reason you want to go to class? You want to stop by the library, you want to write those papers. It's because God is weaving a grand tapestry in the world. And the purpose of you having time to go and study within the university or the college setting is so that you're prepared to be a part of that grand tapestry. I think it's so important that parents repeat those things. I was a first-generation college student, and I'll tell you this much. My parents did a wonderful job, even when I felt like I didn't fit in the college campus because I didn't know many who had been through a four-year institution close to my family. Um, My parents constantly, and members of my church community constantly reminded me, God's going to use you for something great. Make make good use of that time there. And I think I felt less like I was being beat over the head and more like I was being encouraged along in the race. Makes perfect sense. And, you know, helping them understand in that encouragement that, uh, you know, they're, they're going to hear this word freedom a lot, but the other word that needs to be tied into it is responsibility. There you have it. And to understand that uh, they, they need to maintain a level now of, of personal responsibility for themselves. Uh, you know, there, there's not going to be anybody there to say, time to get up and go to school, uh, time to go and do your laundry, time to go and eat, time to go to church, time to read, time to, uh, uh, you know, spend some study time alone in meditation with the Lord. And so yeah. it's going to be important that they, that they set and establish, uh, I guess, a sense of, of spiritual discipline too then, wouldn't it? A, a, a very strong habit of spiritual discipline, which leads to a strong habit of educational discipline. But I think this is what's so important about spiritual discipline. Your children have to see you doing it before they mm-hmm. can value it. Mm-hmm. And if they don't ever see you pray, they don't ever see us reading Scripture, and I have three children of my own, if Daddy never prays at the table, reads Scripture, we have discussions, that I cannot expect them to go out <laughs> and carry that with them. Because we, we do, again, learn a lot from our parents' example. And I believe part of the reason why God calls children to honor their father and mother is not because, it's not only because he's holding the child accountable to honor them, but that also puts accountability on the parents for you to be something that's worth honoring, (laughs) for you to demonstrate a relationship with God, so the child is to look up to you and follow your example. So I think it's so important that they have that structure. And let me say this, let let me make this last point. It's so important that we not be helicopter parents when they get into college. Responsibility matters. I agree with you 110%. I have experienced so many parents in my teaching career as a university faculty member who want to come and clean up all the mistakes of their children in class. And that does nothing but lead to a child who takes even less responsibility because mom and dad are eventually going to show up and save me from what I've done. So as we encourage them on in God's great plan, be spiritually disciplined, spend time in, in Scripture, spend time in prayer, make sure you're attending classes and you're, and you're planning things out. and You can have some fun, but you're also being responsible. I think it's also important as well to let students scrape their knee when they scrape their knee and not always run up behind them and attempt to fix the situation by chasing down their faculty member and telling them why even though my son didn't turn in the last three papers, they're just a really good kid. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it. there is an inclination by parents to want to be overprotective. And given, you know, their understanding and experience with the world, uh, I think that's a reasonable expectation, but it's not realistic when it comes to the relationship with the kid. But, you know, it, it that raises an important point. As children are going out and everything is about new discovery, they're discovering themselves, they're discovering newfound freedoms, responsibilities, yeah. newfound friends. Is it important at the very least as we encourage our child, since they will cross paths, with a whole variety of people, some of whom they will share the same worldview and values with and many of whom they will not, to maybe find themselves in a position where they can come under, if not, again, the the, the hover parents, you know, at least have some access or exposure to someone who can provide kind of in that mentoring relationship the kind of guidance that they really need. Now, this maybe could be a teacher on campus, maybe a graduate student or somebody else, somebody that's not mom and dad, and yet is somebody that they can look up to that can, get, that can speak some truth into their life. That is so very important. And one of the, I think before students go on the college campus, one of the things parents should encourage them to do is, number one, as as you stated, sometimes they're going across the country or across the state, uh, number one, find a local church fellowship. Many of the successful students I've seen who are really growing spiritually strong during their college years have a local fellowship, a church fellowship outside of their college community. And oftentimes that's where they will find mentors. But there are also faculty members on campus who can pour into their lives. And I think this is when it's so important that parents share their stories of those who have helped them in their walk with Christ and encourage their child. You find those people too. God has those folks out there for you. You do not have to do this alone. On every college campus, I would venture to say, or within the local community, the local church, a child, a young person can find a mentor who can pour into them spiritually and also help them through the process of grappling with big questions. I had a couple of faculty members who really made the difference during my undergraduate career, as well as a pastor and his wife who actually came and visited uh, me and my family this past weekend from the local church I attended during my undergraduate career. And they made an indelible imprint on me as a young man in my view of family, in my view of truth, in my view of Christ, and all of that took place while I was pretty far away from home and mom and dad weren't there. And actually, oftentimes, you know, uh, well, uh, put it this way, when I was a kid, Neeland, um, my father was pretty stupid. And it's amazing, the older I got, the smarter my father got. <laughs> of course, I tell you. When, when, when I say that in front of him, he doesn't quite agree with it that way. But yeah. certainly from the child's perspective, you know, when we're young, we think we know everything and our parents know nothing. Then we get into our 20s and our 30s and our 40s, and some of us even beyond that. I, I don't know that directly, but I read about it. Uh, you, you, you learn that, you know what, mom and dad weren't so dumb. And so sometimes these mentors, as you point out, have an opportunity to speak truth into the life of our child at an age when they might not receive that truth yes. from mom or dad, but would openly embrace that truth coming from an independent third party whose opinion they respect and they believe, well, it must be true because this person doesn't have an agenda at foot here. There you have it. And, and let me make sure I say this. Every parent who is sending a child away from home to college should be pay, praying this prayer. Lord, send someone to disciple my son or daughter. Send a good, I think sometimes we, we just want to be the people to do it for our own children, you know. <laughs> so 
So we say, Lord, send them to me. But I, I, I always recommend praying, Lord, send them someone who can touch their life and they'll listen to them. You know, someone who's rooted in the gospel, stands firm on biblical truth, and my child will hear them. Because you are exactly right. I remember when I got ready to marry my wife, suddenly my father knew all kinds of stuff. Yes. Uh (laughs) I I said, wow, this guy has good things to say. And I wondered what happened during that period from me being 13 to 17 when he knew absolutely nothing. He he, he must have been studying privately, quietly at night, you know? I suppose so. But suddenly, and I, I think, and that's one of the things parents have to understand. Young people go through phases. There is a questioning phase while they're in college, and they don't only question their faith. They question everything, (laughs) their place in the world, what they eat, what they drink. It's the reason that we have all of these causes that break out. I mean, college students, will they will protest any given cause (laughs) because they're at a point in their life where they're sorting out society, sorting out what they believe, so on and so forth. So if you feel a little distance from your child, keep reaching out to them, keep loving them, because soon enough, life happens. And you start coming back around. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, some good, solid advice for parents to provide to their children and take for themselves as your son or daughter heads off to college or university. I'd like to thank Neilan Brown for being with us, Executive Director of Focus Leadership Institute, located at Focus on the Family. Leland, lots of resources available, too, through the website, focusleadership.org. Lots of, lots of uh, resources available there, and we would love for any parents to reach out and contact us. Uh, you could even shoot me an email. My email is on there, so contact me if any questions or, or thoughts, if there's any way we can assist with recommending a resource for your college student. Excellent. Again, on the web at focusleadership.org. That's focusleadership.org. And our thanks to Neilan Brown, the Executive Director of Focus Leadership Institute, for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.